0: Talk, 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 to talk, talk. Let's talk about, uh, let's talk about this issue 27. We're gonna talk
1: about coming from Devil's Jew. It's something you wondered if Talking Joe would ever do. I guess we'll explain it all to you. Gonna take some time to read the books we've never read. Oh. Hey, hey, hey now, hey now, what's the matter with you? It's me, Mark, and welcome to Talking Joe, the best and longest running dedicated G.I. Joe comic podcast. It's the show that everyone's talking about because it's ranked 233 in Hong Kong's most listened to Apple podcasts in the book soap category. If you're new to the show, you can find out all of the details over at the website. The website is talkingjoe.co.uk. Today, we are continuing our look at the disavowed era of G.I. Joe with issue 27 uh, entitled Paradigm Shift, which was from Devil's Due in 2004. But I'm not doing this alone, so let me introduce my co-hosts. First up, we have a real American Tim. It's Tim Finn.
0: Hello, Mark, and hello,
1: listeners. Howdy, howdy, howdy. And, uh, oh, did I kn- catchphrase? Next up, it's G.I.J. J. Cordray.
2: Howdy, Joe fans. Who's ready to talk about the Battle of Winterfell? Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's just another dark battle that we can't tell what the hell's going on. <laughs> My mistake.
1: Oh, dear. I think we might have had a hint at some of the uh, the, the gripes to come. Maybe. So we are talking issue 27, Paradigm Shift, dated February 2004. Mm-hmm. The creative team are or were. Story, Brandon Jerwa. Brandon, 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 Brandon Jerwa. Pencils, Tim Seeley. Inks, Corey Hampshire. Colors, Brett R. Smith. Letters, Dreamer Designs. Graphic design, Mike Norton. Military consultation, Andrew Swenson. What is happening on the front of the book? Let's have a look at the covers in the gallery. Tim Seeley, Android Papoy and Val Staples. Tim, you want to tell us about the cover?
0: Uh, The cover is striking because it's a very light, white, Arctic background. And we have a two-thirds figure of snake eyes holding... Uh, his two knives from costume version three. Uh, and he's wearing a black, a long black coat. And uh, we're seeing him from behind and he's he's turning a bit. Uh, but on the left in the foreground is a red arm and hand, probably belonging to a ninja holding a sword. And then there's a little bit of uh, sort of atmospheric, Not it's not smoke, it's not mist, but there's just a little bit of air that uh, sort of grays out Snake eyes, so he gets pushed back a little bit. So none of the black printed for him is is a pure black, uh, and then the the black outline for the foreground element, the arm, the hand, the sword, uh, that that line work does get printed in pure black. When I so I this is not a cover that I knew from memory the way that like the you know J. Scott Campbell cover for issue one or the Mike Zek covers after that sort of are in my mind. So I sort of completely forgotten this cover. And I picked it up and I thought, say now, that's a striking cover because there are only three colors. There's the white background, which is, you know, a little bit of very, very light gray, very, very light blue, very, very light purple. But let's say white, there's the quote black of Snake Eyes and there's the the red it's a, a bit of a muddy red for uh, the foreground ninja. And, you know, like Snake Eyes, we we rarely get to see him at this angle and, and there's some threat here. And then I realized... I actually don't like this cover. This this cover actually lacks any drama. And if you know G.I. Joe, you know that if there's like a red ninja or part of a red ninja and one of the Joe ninjas, that's an adversarial relationship, right? Like the three of us look at this cover and we know that this ninja is sneaking up on Snake Eyes or coming up behind him and Snake Eyes is starting to turn and there's going to be a fight. And that's exciting. But that's all because we know the brand that's actually not in this drawing. This drawing is a unexciting pose of Snake Eyes just standing there. And there's like just a little bit of tension in the arm and the hand holding the sword in the foreground. And it made me realize, because I know I, I spent a lot of time in our previous episode for issue 26, I spent a lot of time talking about... Tim Seeley's front cover on that with the Joes standing there. Uh, maybe maybe I said just standing there. And what I realized with these two covers is that Tim Seeley is not a cover artist. There are comics artists who are uh, extraordinary at telling a story over pages and composing panels and pages and also composing a single image and drawing it really well. You know, like Brian Boland or Adam Hughes, right? Um, And those guys tend to only do covers sort of later in their career. Uh, And then you have artists like, uh, you know, like Mark Bright or Mark Bagley, one of whom does have a connection to G.I. Joe and one of whom doesn't. And these guys are both, like, excellent storytellers. Their art is, uh, depending on your sort of flavor of fandom, like, great or, like, good or okay. But there's a... You know, there's like a standard, like, reliability to how they draw. It's not too, it's not flashy. And their covers are good and sometimes great, but, you know, like, it's not an Alex Ross cover. It's not a, it's not an Arthur Adams cover, right? And then you have an artist like Tim Seeley who can draw and can tell a story, but at least in 2004, I don't think he can create in a single image uh, a compelling drawing that both, like, asks a question and also, like, uh, is so, like, well-drawn or so exciting or so sexy, even if it doesn't ask a question, like, just sort of the pinup style of cover, that it, like, would get someone to step over at the comic book store and pull it off the shelf. So, at first glance, I like this cover. But once I start thinking about it, this is, this is not an exciting cover. Mm-hmm.
2: I don't need to think about it too much to know that I don't like it. <laughs> uh,
0: Why, Jay? That's that's interesting because I only thought about it too much. So how, how do you how how do you explain your reaction?
2: It's just boring,
0: hmm. and I don't like how
2: um, I don't like that mist kind of because, like I said, I, I'm looking at these digital, but I also have the trade paperback of this, and when I opened up the digital one, I just thought it was poorly scanned. I was like, "What? Ugh, this is terrible." And then I looked at my paperback and I'm like, it's still terrible. I'm like, they meant to do it this way.
0: I guess, uh, you know, some of the, we'll call it mist, even though it's not. It's, it's I guess it's technically atmosphere. But some of the mist is also in the extreme foreground in front of the Red Ninja's hand. And yeah. that that, uh, that might be mm. a, like Photoshop, like lasso selection mistake. But I also think that that's not a it's I think it's a little distracting. Yeah,
1: it's not not great. They, not I, not
0: necessary.
1: See, I, I I was I was with you, Tim, uh, you know, in terms of your description of it up until the up until the point that you said that you didn't like it. See, I think the things that <laughs> the things that you're calling out, you know, the fact that it's it's simplified, we've got the white background, snake eyes is the bold image sort of slightly knocked back, and then sort of in the you know very foreground, the the red ninja's hand uh, you know compositionally it just felt like you know so- solid separated blocks and and sort of away from some of the covers where we talked before about there just being too much going on too much color and contrasting colors it that i quite like the, the the simplicity i like i like i like the pose of um of snake eyes i i quite, you know, quite like the sort of the slight hint of him jutting out his dr- jaw a little subtle hint of the uh the the breath in the in the wind there the the coolness of the coats the the you know the studded trench knives I think there's a lot there to to like you know, I'm giving this one a, a thumbs up
0: I'm gonna am uh. gonna nitpick a little bit because there's a tangent where uh, Snake Eyes' sword uh, excuse me Snake Eyes's dagger hilt his knife mm-hmm. uh, yeah. the the one on the left uh, it's touching the Red Ninja's sleeve cuff graphically it's not literally because snake eyes is further away but that's one of those places where you'd want an overlap because that kind of tangent flattens the image and draws attention to itself and it was not like done on purpose like those things don't touch they shouldn't touch
1: yeah i did notice that and yeah you're right about that it is, it is what it is i I thought as well that, uh, this is a bit of a harkening back we're in 2004 at this point 2003 as it's being drawn and matrix came out in 1999 <laughs> everyone started thinking that that long black coats were very very cool and there was a some somewhat of a <laughs> a gamut of uh of le- you know black long leather coats or uh and whatnot sort of flooding uh flooding popular culture so i, I feel like this is a slight hangover of of that i feel but, like
0: um, the i feel like storm shadows uh look in the two first two live action chie <laughs> yeah. joe movies Several years after that even continued. Mm. I think there's a straight line back to the Matrix from those. There
2: Yeah, there was some cool cool stuff there. Those the Storm Shadow figures from uh from Rise of Cobra were actually mostly all pretty good. I liked the the long coat. And then um I'm not sure whether it was Rise of Cobra or one of the lines that was right around there. I think that we had a really awesome snake eyes figure called uh it was Paris Pursuit. That's what it was. Paris Pursuit snake eyes. And he had a big, long trench coat like that. That was a really cool figure.
0: I'm a, I'm a Sunbow traditionalist. I feel like Joes on Arctic missions should have, uh, you know, white coats and they should be shorter.
1: <laughs> Fur trimmed color. Yes.
0: And Gung Ho should definitely not be wearing one. Um, I have a snake eyes figure that's
2: Arctic and it's got like green pants and a black jacket. And I'm just like, what? Isn't this supposed to be in the snow? <laughs> and then they, you know, they did make another one that's all white, and all you see is like Snake Eyes's mask, and you're like, oh, well, that's that's better. But yeah, it's green and black for an Arctic mission. I
1: don't know. Tiger Force Blizzard. That's all bright, bright <laughs> yellow. Unless he's, poor unless he's Bear trying Force. to, yeah, camouflage himself in some yellow snow that some massive polar bears taken a giant oh my. whiz on or something. Anyway, right. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, uh, plot breakdown, am I doing plot breakdown, Jay? Yes. Okay. So Jay, Jay decided to, uh, to waste his time on pursuits such as working and sleeping. Yeah. Um, so somebody's so got I, a dream. I'm picking up the, <laughs> I'm picking up the <laughs> slap. Let's go. <laughs> Cobra commander and storm shadow seek sanctuary in Tibet. With a Red Ninja clan under the leadership of Satan. Chabang of the G.I. Joe Ninja Force is living amongst the group as an undercover agent and able to tip off the Joes. So Snake Eyes, with Scarlet Jinx and Kamakura and a support group of Arctic Joes, infiltrates the Red Ninja clan's hideout. Snake Eyes defeats Satan in a face off and the leadership of the Red Ninja Clan is passed to Snake Eyes as the winner of the duel. During the battle, Cobra Commander and Storm Shadow sneak away. Meanwhile, the Cobra leadership is in dispute. And on a flight final cliffhanger, General Gibbs reveals that the US Army were able to see- secretly capture Serpentor in the aftermath of the battle for Cobra Island. So, yeah, it felt like a fairly straightforward story for the most part with that sort of Arctic mission, but, but with, uh, with also that little subplot with the Cobra leadership, political shenanigans, and, and also that little uh, bombshell at the end about uh, Serpentor in the Bacta tank. Um, so, so maybe not quite as straightforward as I initially thought.
2: Poor Serpentor, he spends half <laughs> his life in those Bacta tanks.
1: <laughs> what were your initial uh, thoughts about this one? Not a fan.
2: It wasn't bad. I mean, again, you know, when we looked at the just now, when we looked at the covers, I I looked at the credits page and like on the last one, you see Sealy's black and white artwork on on that page. And uh, I wish the rest of this had been black and white. These colors are bad. I really, really was hard on the colors in the last one. And that's not going to get any better this time. And it amazed me. Like I said, I have the paperback of this. Hmm. And I looked at the scans first on on the computer and I was like, oh my gosh, I can barely even tell what's going on. And I looked (laughs) at my paperback and I'm like, this isn't any better. (laughs) I mean, if I would have picked that up in the store and not read any of it or not been on a podcast where I was talking about it, I wouldn't have bought that.
1: I think we need to to stop, take a pause uh, and play our new jingle at this point because it's probably (laughs) significant. We see devil's dew colors distracting you. I see devil's dew colors, light sources don't seem true. So Tim's not afraid to let them know. Devil's dew colors, dew colors are awful. Like bad 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 yeah, un- unfortunately, um, I think I'm in the same same boat. That w- what was almost most striking about this issue was was just the the color um, and, and the the kind of the impact that that had on some of the storytelling, particularly those those ninja scenes where they're underground. There was just a lot of heavy, dark, muddy colors, which just hampered the storytelling and be able to, you know, properly follow what was going on.
2: And like Tim said, they, um, you know, you'll have a surface area, like the inside of a cave, for example, and instead of a couple colors with some shading, the whole thing is just like a attempted texture, I think, is what it's supposed to be. And it just, oh, it's hard to look at.
0: Yeah, if I can add something to what Mark just said. So Mark described um dark colors. And that is that is a big part of it. What's also going on here is uh and and to to Jay's point just now about texture is that it during the during the ninja fight in the cave, right? It's by firelight, right? So there's like some torches and a big fire behind them. Every object has a highlight on it. Like every shoulder and muscle and sword has like a lighter edge or like a white soft edge. And then it's like middle shade color. And then it's like darker shade colors as it gets further away from the light source. And then they're smoothed together. And so if you have like a photo of just a ball, like a a plastic like kid's toy ball, it's like pretend it's red. You've got that like white circle highlight on it sort of the top left and then the rest of it's like basically red and then around the lower bottom edges it's like a darker red and like that's it but when you start adding more and more colors more and more versions of red between that like white highlight that red uh, middle tone and then the dark red of the shadow and then instead of a photograph of like a rubber ball you have like five guys in red and swords and they're jumping around and then snake eyes and then someone who looks a lot like snake eyes and then like, one of his teammates, and they're all, like, thrashing around, it gets really hard to follow. Um, so the pages are, in terms of color, too busy. But also this fight scene, I was going to get to this later, but once the once the fire is actually set, the, like, ring of fire, the literal ring of fire, um, and there's this fight, I don't think Tim Seeley's storytelling chops are there to pull off the actual fight choreography of like uh, Scarlet yells Jinx and Snake Eyes let Kamakura and I deal with the lackeys you get to the commander so like I need to very clearly see over the next page and a half two of the Joes go away and these two Joes stay here it's like Scarlet and Kamakura are going to fight these red ninjas and Jinx and Snake Eyes are going to go get Cobra Commander and and I, I, I just can't follow it. And then there's this really sort of cool like, move uh, three pages later, that, four pages later, that Snake Eyes does, which I think had it been composed very differently would be it, he ends the fight with a particular move. And as it was happening, I thought, oh, I think I know what he's doing. And then I, I got to the page where he actually like, does this particular move and the fight is over. And I thought, I, I don't know what I'm looking at. Right To use a film term, this is the wrong camera angle. Uh, And, and the, you know, the, the, the color stuff, it's not just that fight scene at the end. It's also, you know, page one, like panel three, just the third panel of the entire comic. Actually, the first panel of the entire comic, Mm -hmm. you know, like the sun is in the distance. So (laughs) like the, 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 all the sides of these mountains that we're looking at, they should be dark because the sun is either setting in the distance or it's rising in the distance. And so the highlights, like the yellow or the white would be on the top edges of these um, mountains. And then the second panel, you know, there's a little bit of texture for the rock and then the door. Like, that's fine. It's busier than I want, but it's it's actually fine. And then the third panel, it's like, here we go. It's like, where (laughs) do I look in this panel? There are three indications of flame and they're all like equally bright. And then it's like, I get my first, like sort of uninteresting straight up and down drawing of a person by Tim Seeley in this comic. And I'm gonna get that in every page. Another bald guy, I might add. So um <laughs> so I I think the reveal that <laughs> I real I think the reveal that this is Chebang a couple pages later yep. makes this first scene much cooler. But as I read this first page, I, I didn't know who this was and I didn't understand the the communication happening in the third panel that there's this person. And they're like going down this hallway, and I guess they're going to a meeting. But in this third panel, they're looking back over their shoulder, and their arms are up. So I think they're like worried they're being followed. But there's no exaggeration. I th- I thought of a word. Um, Tim Seeley's artwork, his poses, he he sort of never uses contraposto, right? Like he doesn't. Like this is something that you see in Renaissance drawings and paintings.
1: I thought it was like a a starter in an Italian restaurant. (laughs) Uh, What's that word mean, Tim?
0: uh, it It is when you have a person and there is a twist to their spine and their weight is on one foot or the other. And I look at a lot of Tim Seeley poses and like arms might be doing something. They might be walking. They might be running. But their spine is basically straight up and down. Or they, he might have drawn them diagonally in the, in the panel, but to use a film term, it's a Dutch angle and everyone is still just standing straight up and down. Yeah. Like, so, and, I mean, it happens again on the bottom of the page with the the red ninja and the guy with the long beard, right? Like, I mean, that's fine. They're about to speak to their their uh, crowd, and there's no reason for them to be, like, twisting in space and turning accusingly behind them or pointing up or, like, leaning over and hopping on one foot and tying their shoe. But, like, over and over and over. Like, like the dreadnoughts released from prison, like, straight up and down. Cobra Page two, Cobra Commander, uh, Storm Shadow, the Red Ninja leader, just standing there straight up and down. Like, Tomax and Zaymot in a meeting, standing straight up and down. Uh, like, there's so much like when when um uh so when snow job i i didn't understand this joke but like when Kamakura and scarlet and jinx come into the joe base right their vehicle drives in and they're actually entering a room now right and seely has made the panel diagonal but it's still like three joes just straight standing walking straight up uh, It's still three joes just straight up and down walking toward us and snow job says Look at that crew! Let the Tarantino movie begin! Like, I, sorry, I don't actually understand that joke. Is this the thing where, like, in was- Reservoir Dogs, when you have like, five people walking in slow motion toward the camera, and you play music? It's like, a cool movie thing? Yes. Like,
1: that's, that's what I thought. Okay, but, but just, like, you know, cool guys walking down. But,
0: but like, sorry, Brandon Jarowat, but that's silly. Like, does Snowdrop know he's in a comic book, where like, regular <laughs> people who don't live in action movies see these like, um, silly characters with silly costumes, like walking toward us because like snow job is one of these sort of like flamboyant, amazing, tough people, action characters. And I get it. The ninjas are even cooler. Anyway, I'm sort of making two different points here. Uh, a lot, of, a lot of, um, unexciting straight up and down poses. Um, and, uh, uh, that joke didn't work for me.
2: Little artist um, complaint. Snow job looks like monkey wrench.
0: Yeah, I didn't. I don't understand him having red. It's like no, I no, no. Would, save the red red glasses for a bad guy.
2: I, I like literally when I looked at that panel, I thought, "What the hell's monkey wrench doing there?" And I was like, "Snow! Oh, okay, that's snow job." You know, I mean, it's it's strange that you could have oh generic character with a beard and glasses, and then immediately you just think, "Oh, well, that's the monkey wrench." I don't know why that popped out at me, but I, I, I want to snow gonna, job.
0: I want to spend, I promise this is one sentence, and then I'll stop talking about uh, Tim Seeley. I have it written down. Um, uh, uh, after this, I'll stop talking for this episode about the figure work that Tim Seeley does, <laughs> his, his drawing of poses, right? Um, in a previous episode, when talking about the newest issue of the Larry Hama Real American Hero, the issue with uh, Falcon, drawn by Kuber Bayal, who we it's a two-part episode because in one episode we talked to the artist and then in another episode we talked to Carson Metaxas. I made the point that um, Bayal's uh, drawings of characters, how they're posed, and everyone's body language on every page in the entire issue was all gorgeous, subtle, evocative, well-drawn, told the story exciting and even in like the final panel of that comic when there are three joes or about to be joes sitting in a tent two were injured and there's like a spook and a like a general or someone like brass standing in front of them all five characters have these like subtle gorgeous differences in how they're seated standing and holding themselves and i would like to see that kind of attention as the long sentence in in Tim Seely's uh, GI Joe drawings. Fair
1: enough. If if I rewind a, a little bit back, um, sort of, you touched on it, Tim. I think it was the the fight choreography, and because I've been looking at Silent Interlude so so much recently, uh, and sort of the genius of of Larry's kind of layouts and the body language and and sort of the the careful thought as to how people move through space and, and sort of from one position to the next one panel to the next and, and using, um, you know, playing that out the physicality of it in, in real life before he then sets, sets pen to, to pa- pencil to paper. It it sort of struck me that, that he, you know, that work is on just such a different sort of league, uh, um, to, to what we're just seeing, seeing here, that it just doesn't have that same, Panache in the the choreography, the layout, and and sort of making you know and feel like yes, of course, someone you know would would hold themselves in that position. Yeah, of course, that move would then you know they do that move and they'll be in this position for the for the next move. It all it, it, it you know the the choices in terms of the the you know the body language, the the positioning, the subsequent panel that it transitioned to just doesn't. It, 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 you know and and you, you're you comparing a sort of a you know a high water mark of gi joe here so it's probably not entirely fair but
0: and and you're comparing someone who had already been drawing comics that's what i was gonna say for uh 10 15 years yeah. with someone who'd been drawing comics for two or one
2: larry was a lot more experienced in his career when they did 21 than tim but Sally was here so. but i'll I mean, give Seely o- that one
0: but the other way that you can the the harsher way of phrasing it is that In a different era, a publisher wouldn't hire someone who can draw as well as Tim Seeley, but whose layouts aren't as experienced. It's like, no, you have to keep working on this before we'll give you work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, I I can separate the drawing from the layout, and there are there are lots of artists who, uh, you know, like Rob Liefeld, right? It's like I I don't want Rob Liefeld to draw GI Joe comics, but if he was following layouts by like any number of dozens or hundreds of really great visual storytellers, like drawing from Larry Hama layouts or drawing from, you know, Ron Wagner or Mark Bagley, like anyone, right. Um, Anyone who's got that like level of skill. uh, I'd be very excited actually. And um, I do like how Tim Seeley draws, you know, costumes and faces and people and the gear. Um, So if, if, and, and, It's not so crazy to think that these steps could be separated in comics. Most of the time, they're not. The penciler is both drawing page layouts and also penciling. But, you know, like, um, you you sort of don't see this in Marvel and DC nowadays. But when DC was doing its year-long weekly comics, uh, 52 and Countdown, Keith Giffen was doing breakdowns, page layouts for every single page of every issue of 52 and almost every issue of countdown. And I'm sure the pencilers were when they were recruited for that initially a little, uh, like surprised or irked. It's like, wait, don't you trust me? Like I can do this. I've been drawing for you for five years already, but it was actually about just having a consistency across a series with so many artists and also making sure that this like weekly thing, like always, the artist could always just start drawing. And you see this even, um, In a lot of uh, Disney comics, like Disney adaptations of its animated movies or like new stories that are drawn that sort of continue the story of some recent Disney animated movies that are done in Europe, uh, these comics are often drawn by a team and like one or two people do the layouts and one or two or three people do the actual drawing and then someone does the color you know, if if you're drawing a GI Joe comic, you wouldn't want to give up half of your page rate so someone else could do your layouts for you. But if you were behind schedule or still learning, might not be a good, a uh, bad idea.
2: Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Larry recently do like breakdowns only for Deathstroke
0: for a good while?
2: Yeah, and that was it, right? It was just like breakdowns.
0: Yeah. So. Uh the, the artists, there were two artists, uh, two or three pencillers who did the whole run of Christopher Priest's uh, Deathstroke, which ran about mm, 40, 40 or 50 issues and wrapped up last year. And it was great, by the way, everyone. And <laughs> um, Priest and Hama know each other because uh, Priest was Hama's assistant when really? Hama was an editor around 81 at uh, Marvel. Um, Priest was like an unpaid editor or an unpaid intern. And like one of the first things that Hama did when he met with Priest was who went had a different name at the time. He went by a different name. Um, but Hama's like, well, I got to, we got to pay you. And then immediately had him start helping him, you know, on uh, crazy and maybe the Conan books. And then later Priest wrote uh, Conan. So Priest is writing Deathstroke in like one or two or three issues in either he or the editor About five years ago, decides that the storytelling uh, is could be stronger, and so I think it's Priest who recommended that Hama do uh, layouts, like stick figures for every page. And Hama's only credited; uh, he's I think he starts at issue like three or four or five, and then his name shows up for most of the next twenty or thirty issues, but. I spoke with him at the time and it seemed like he was missing some issues. And I think what was actually happening was that uh, they were sometimes forgetting to credit him, mm-hmm. but he's got stacks of eight and a half by 11 paper uh, of page breakdowns of, you know, like sort of stick, fi- not stick figures, but like, you know, like yeah. artists, Thumbnail. artists, wouldn't yeah. Artists, wooden mannequin, uh, stick figures, um, choreographing all the action. And I recommend that run. Sorry, let's talk about issue twenty. I'll tell you though that
2: that really says a lot for Larry's ability as a storyteller that they would hire him just, you know, to do to do breakdowns like that. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, and actually, I'll I'll say one more thing. Uh, I think it's issue six and seven or seven or eight. Um, the whole priest run. It, it's hard to pull any one arc out of it because it's all one big story. But Superman shows up for two issues. It's great, and Ham involved in that, and uh, and there's an arc with Batman. 5 or 6 issues which is collected as its own paperback that's just called Deathstroke versus Batman it's not a numbered paperback although it's really like number volume 5 or 6 um and uh and that's good uh and uh all right so uh, G. Joe 27
1: <laughs> from Devils Due exactly yeah so so don't get me wrong so, I don't I don't want to you know slate uh, Tim Tim Seely because uh, I don't think I don't think his work is is bad um, I think, uh, yeah, as you say, it he's, he's still bad, learning. He's a it, young it, artist. You know, some of some of the, some of the stuff just isn't doesn't have the the polish of some of the the high watermark that that has been set in in, in GI Joe. And mm-hmm. I think um, but this issue particularly is, is is really impaired by some of the the coloring, which sort of gets in the way of some of the the clarity of um, the art. I think um, it, it, with with a much better colorist or a different coloring treatment, um, I, th- I think that would really you know make my feelings towards this issue quite different to be honest um let's move on to uh something else uh we're seeing another group of specialists together i think some um brandon had mentioned that he is something that, that appeals to him uh, we've got alpine frostbite snow job and iceberg all all together in the uh, up top not doing an awful lot there getting involved in a firefight where where the uh while the real action that happens uh, down below
0: I love the idea of putting the specialists in their environment in their proper environments and having you know the like lead team and then the insertion team like arctic guys you get the ninjas in and the ninjas go in but it it does seem like in in an issue with fewer characters it's like the four ninjas would have just hiked the mountain and then gone in and um I think I think considering how many characters and plot points and paradigm shifts there are in this issue, I think Jerwa does a good job. It's, a, it's an entertaining issue and it makes sense and it's like a good comic. But I, I think ultimately it's got too many characters and the story is overloaded. And, and the fact that the Arctic guys are – it's like they, they sort of don't know what to do with themselves – and like all we get of them being Arctic guys is this one panel when the Joes are climbing, they've they've parachuted in, right? And there's one panel, it's a wordless panel, and it's a silhouette of one, two, three, four, five, five of these eight people climbing up a mountain. And it's, a, it's not a very exciting panel, but it just sort of gets, establishes the business. It's like, okay, well, we parachuted in and now we've gotten to the point on the mountain where... We actually like see the door or the, the hole or the gate. So since the Arctic guys don't get to do anything particularly arctic, and then the ninjas get a uh, you know like a, a five page fight scene. It's like okay, the Snow Job gets to ski in, and then a helica a very over designed two thousand four Hasbro helicopter shows up, and um, the three of the four Arctic Joes shoot at it, and then that's just sort of it with them.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think you're right. They, they, there is a lot being fitted fit into this issue, and and again, I think we mentioned it on a previous issue that that possibly slight, you know, getting close to the breaking point of how much you can you can cram in. I think possibly for me, it was the thing that maybe we could have lived without with some of the the Cobra centric um, stuff uh, with um, with you know Destro uh, and and co back at the the Cobra base on some of that political maneuvering and and whatnot um i think you know maybe maybe push that into the next issue or something that um just keep it and keep it things a little bit focused but um
2: yeah it's nice that those storylines are progressing it's nice to see lillian and uh, alexander back but like you said it's this would have been better if we'd have just fleshed this issue out a little bit more and saved that stuff for another issue
0: I say this with um, with sort of respect and uh, and warmth. For Jerwa to put too much into this issue, it's a rookie mistake. And I say that warmly because I would make this mistake. Like, okay, this is what his sixth G i Joe comic, not counting a little bit of assisting on issue twenty five. And what are the first four issues that he writes? A spotlight on one guy with <laughs> other characters. But it's like, okay, Chuckles is going to go here and he's going to go there and he's going to go here. And then it's like, okay, Brandon Gerwa, well, here are the keys to the kingdom. You've got 400 Joes and Cobras and vehicles and you are picking up what happened after our mega anniversary fight issue, right? It's like, yeah, absolutely. It's like, okay, I'm going to have a half page on the uh, Dreadnoughts and uh, remember the other Destro that uh, no one likes, like we got to know where he's been It's and I'm going to make it make sense. It's like, oh, cool, cool, cool. Slow that down. Like we actually we actually don't need a half a page of the Dreadnoughts walking out of uh, jail. I think the that they actually have been traded out is cool, and that Tomax and Zaymot, in this little bit of sort of captioned dialogue over the panel of the Dreadnoughts getting released from jail or prison, that Tomax and Zaymot are doing something good for Destro and he appreciates it. I think that's a great little character turn because we're wondering in this Post Serpentor and where is Cobra Commander era? Who's gonna behave and who's gonna work for whom and who might suck up? So like that's a neat bit of uh, a character work. But while I like that, a couple pages later, uh, you know, there's this reveal that Shebang has infiltrated the Ren Ninjas because Snake Eyes had him do that. This was before the Joes reconstituted, and Snake Eyes didn't tell anyone about this until just now that Chebang is sent an SOS or has been taken prisoner, and there are th- four panels of Hawk uh, getting angry because the chain of command hasn't been followed. And he, he points a finger at Snake Eyes. You let him walk away. Uh, it's, you know, Storm Shadow got away. You let him walk away after your last encounter. And that's unacceptable. You get the chance. Can you put aside your feelings for a corrupted friend and do the job? And then Snake Eyes walks out. But when he, Snake Eyes' his hand is shaking, like it's like what? Like, he's, like he wants to haul off and punch his CO? This didn't work for me. I feel like in other G.I. Joe comics, when a Joe breaks the rules... All the other Joes rally. It's like, no, you can't go rescue your friend who's been taken prisoner. It's like, well, we're going to break the rules and we're going to go rescue our other Joe who's been taken prisoner. Or like, well, I'm, I'm looking over here. I guess the three of you are going to have to walk behind me where I can't see you and you go get a helicopter and rescue <laughs> the other Joe. I, I feel like Hawk and Duke in this scene would turn this into a positive and an opportunity rather than like Hawk getting upset and lecturing. Snake Eyes. I do think that Snake Eyes letting Storm Shadow go like didn't work, and I like that it's being addressed here, but I don't think this is the way to do it. And I, I sort of a little a little Jay Cordray showed up on my shoulder actually a few pages <laughs> earlier when uh, Kamakura and Snake Eyes and Scarlet are entering the pit in the uh, vamp, and um, Scarlet says uh, Scarlet says uh, sorry to break up the late night meditation session, guys. Snake Eyes and I were about to head out for our two-week leave, but they asked us to stay. Jinx says, Yikes, you okay with that, Scarlet? I'm fine. I've come to terms with the fact that this is our job. Uh, Snake Eyes and I dedicated our lives to this before we made the choice to be together. And I thought, uh, is Jay not going to like this? Because it's like still too much of like Scarlet's personal life and like not being a Joe first and being like a girlfriend or a wife uh, second. And I thought, I thought this is okay. But I also wondered... I wondered how Jay would react.
2: I actually like that. That's probably was going to be my favorite line of dialogue because I feel like right there, Brandon has fixed all that Scarlet crap. Okay. because She's finally just said, look, I'm done with that. We've made our decision to be Joe's. We chose that before we chose each other. So I'm just going to have to suck it up and go forward. And I hope, I hope that that's what that is that that's jerwa putting a nail on that and, and saying we're moving on we're not going to get into all that garbage anymore so i'm reading that as a hopeful line and and i'm happy that that line was in there
1: so so next up on my list of of things about this issue the. The Serpentor back to tank reveal. When we would were- think last time, t- uh, Tim, you might have mentioned something about, uh, you know, Serpentor being done for, and that's the last we'll see of him. Uh, and I th- thought to chuckle to myself, <laughs> 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 that's what you think.
2: Serpentor's going to get out of that tank and be like, I could just lay in a bed. He's like, you guys don't have to put me in water.
1: Ne- next issue is all about him escaping from the Sarlacc pit.
0: And <laughs> any Anytime I see. Uh, which is not that often, let's face it. But when when I see uh, Serpentor um, being regenerated or healed, I always think of, um, there's a panel in, it in issue 90 where you see just a bit of his uh, headpiece, I think, and he's in a, a like a, an ice box. He's in like a coffin filled with ice cubes
1: because
0: mm-hmm. Cobra's talking about how they're like holding onto the body. I remember that. Which is... Like when I saw, that's, that's the first comic I ever read. And I was shocked. Like, wait, serpentor is dead. Wait, wait, his corpse is just here. Wait, they're holding onto it. Like, wait, it's green. Like the colors don't match the cartoon. Um,
1: and wait, but, uh, what? They think you can keep something cold indefinitely by putting ice on it.
0: Uh, yes. Yes. Um, so I, 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 find the bacta tank here. Uh, I find this contrast funny. And he's in a tank again when um, Larry Hama brings him back from the dead yeah. around issue it, 200, <laughs> not, yeah, 210. Not too dissimilar. Um, okay, so I will admit here, uh, it's it's been many weeks since I read issue 25, or the arc where Serpenter comes back. So I will admit that when I got to this second to last page, uh, excuse me, this last page, I didn't know who this was. So just remind me. A couple issues ago did Serpentor only have one eye and some like scarring cuz he just looks like um like cable or cesspool mm. <laughs> here
1: and there
2: is not a good answer for that. I mean, you could say, well, he got shot in the eye by Zartan, which he did. Okay. and that's how he died the first time, but then when they brought him back, that eye was fine.
0: R- okay, right. So so this this missing eye and the scar, yeah. this is not something that correlates to two issues ago, right? No. Okay, so, no. so, j- I'm going to ask the dumb question, <laughs> uh, Mark Jay. When you got to this page just now, when you read this issue, did you know who this was? Yeah. Okay. Um, and wait,
2: it just let me add here: when I take over as new writer of GI Joe and bring Serpentor back, he's going to be in a
1: hospital bed with amnesia. Rewind, rewind. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm thinking now. Because uh, I, I was just flicked back to twenty-five, to issue twenty-five, and I thought to myself, "Is this
0: uh, one of the other clones?" This,
1: this, this uh, there's, there's this? Overlord, and and he's got ah. a scar on that eye and a white eye. And then I looked back to the page and said, "Hold on, that that panel with um cable uh, there, that's um, <laughs> that's that's a, that's a different guy. That's not the same guy." In the back to Tank. look, he's he's got a collar on him and and stuff. So uh, I think that is Overlord. Looking over and uh, protecting oh, serpent okay, or okay. in the tank. All
0: right, okay, all right. So, all right. Oh, all right. The, okay. Thank you, or, Mark. Good job. Thank you. Thank you. So, this page, this final page, has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven panels. Oh. In panel one, two, three, in panels one, two, three, the generals. I think it's the jugglers. I'm not sure, but these four generals walk down a hall, go to a door, and Come into a room, right? We then don't really see them in front of the back to tank. Uh, on panel four, there is someone standing in front of the back to tank, but they're almost completely in silhouette except for a missing eye. So, because the inside of the tank is green and the person in the tank has black sideburns and black hair and is like leaning forward. In that next panel, mm-hmm. one, two, three, four, five, which is this close-up of the person with the missing eye and the scar, like looking intently to the right, I'd assumed that that was the person in the tank. I and did It too. was like Serpentor waking up in the tank, and then in the next two panels, his eyes are closed again, and we're far enough away that we can't see if he's got a scar or not. But I was also wondering, like, wait, why is this one random general? like stepped away from the other three and they're standing like in dramatic silhouette in front of the tank in the like vertical panel. But like Mark, you are absolutely right. It's someone else overlord who's standing between the tank and the generals. And I'm going to, I'm going I'm to lay this equally at the feet of Jerwa for putting too much into one page of comics and Seely for not pulling the camera back enough in panel four on this page. We never see the four generals in front of the tank. We see them for three panels and we don't see a tank. And then for four panels, we see a tank and we don't see them. And so it is not clear that they actually went into the room with the tank Mm -hmm. because all of the color for their three panels is warm and yellow and orange because they're in the hallway. When they enter this room, there isn't like a green light that's cast on their fronts, right? Because there's a light source from this green tank that I think logically is in front of them. So, uh, Mark, thank you for clearing that up. Also, this page is very confusing, and unfortunately, that means that the dramatic reveal of who did the who did the general reclaim from the uh, issue twenty-five battle, like is is like either one person or someone else, or I don't know who it is, or it's it's like split between two people uh so too much too much going on here
2: i totally read that wrong i i'm with you i thought that the that that f- face in the what f- fifth panel i thought that was serpentor totally totally did and in the in the um one two three four the fourth panel where you see the big tank i didn't even notice there was somebody standing there because again too dark
0: hmm so I just want to say one last thing. Uh, besides Mark chuckling back when we read issue twenty-five, and I said, "Good, that's the last we'll see of Serpentor." <laughs> Brandon Jirwa, I'm I'm talking <clears throat> uh, fifteen years into the past, <laughs> as if as if he can hear me. Like Serpentor is awesome, and like yeah, nobody ever stays dead in comics, but like. You got so much Cobra brass to deal with. Are you sure you need to bring Serpenter back two issues after he died? Like, yeah. no, it's uh, Alexander and his girlfriend and and the Dreadnoughts. Like, I want to. The Dreadnoughts just got out of prison. Too much.
2: It's a common complaint with the Joe franchise. There's so many toys in the play box, but every are in the toy box, but everybody just wants to play with the same twenty figures.
0: Um, <laughs> well, I'll 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 go back to my comment before if. If I wrote GI Joe, I would absolutely overload. Like my first, you know, two issues or my first story, I'd have, you know, like seven sub teams and like a Cobra Civil War <laughs> and like three MacGuffins and like, you know, like I'd probably like the MacGuffin device. Uh, so um, I, 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 I don't, I don't criticize harshly that this issue has too many. That has so many characters in it because. I'll give a new writer a little time to figure it out. And certainly the remit for picking up after uh, Blaylock with issue 26 is very different than pitching your own two-part mm-hmm. story for that becomes part of the spin-off book that then becomes four issues.
1: And this was part of my thinking as well as, you know, it's, it's Brandon was, you know, starting point was last, last issue. And, and, you know, he's got the sandbox to, to play with and, and, you know, I don't, I don't think he was doing this in you know complete um, isolation that, that I'm sure he was given some direction about what he could and couldn't, couldn't do. Um, but, but, you know, he's not starting from a, a blank slate. It's in the aftermath of that big Cobra Island battle and, and, there are bits of, and there are pieces that uh, in flight that, that it would make sense to to con- continue on, on with rather than just sort of trying to, you know, hit a reset button. You know, the, the mystery of Serpentor, the, the, you know, offshoot Cobra Coil organization, the, the various characters like Lilandra and Alexander that have been set up and we're not entirely sure where they are. The fact that Cobra Commander and you know, Storm Shadow had escaped at the end of the Cobra Civil War um etc you know there are various bits in in play on the old gi joe chessboard and um you know it takes a little bit of time if you want to carefully continue on that same path of you know repositioning everything back to to where you want and not just hitting saying yep everyone's back
0: but if comic commander and storm shadow got away or disappeared at the end of issue 25 wouldn't it in addition to clearing up some room in issue 27, wouldn't it like tease the readers if we didn't check back in with them for, you know, until issue 28 Mm. or 29? Then when Destro and Baroness and the twins are saying, cover commander is still missing, that would have more dramatic, that would have a more dramatic effect because I wouldn't know from the previous page, like, oh, no, he's not. He's in (laughs) Tibet. Uh, like, I, I thought it was cool that he's very much in control and he's letting the world think, or his his world, think that he's gone and he's working some other angle with the Red Ninjas. But, I, and I appreciate that uh, Jirwa gives us a particular Red Ninja. He he makes one particular. He, an individual, he gives him a name and a little bit of a backstory, Tin. He's the leader of this branch of the Red Ninjas. He's changed how the Red Ninjas work. He reminds you that they come from the Rashikage, and he uh says that he defeated the previous uh leader of the Red Ninjas or his group of Red Ninjas. Like, that's cool. But again, like oh, and we're also checking with Alexander and the Dreadnoughts, and um so if if it's I think Jerwa gives this particular red ninja a name and a backstory so that at the end of the issue when snake eyes defeats him it means something more because it wouldn't mean as much if snake eyes fights a bunch of red ninjas and defeats one of them and mm-hmm. it's like well that's yep. the leader i guess hey they're giving him the sword but- Yeah, just
1: just like they gave um the the red ninja leader uh, when he was a not a red ninja, but a, an orange ninja, um, was it Altef or Aleph or something along those? Uh...
0: uh, night night creeper.
1: That oh, that was a night creeper, wasn't it? Yes. Sorry.
0: Yeah. So the so the night creepers are are these generic cobra ninja subcontractors. And remind remind us when does he get he gets a specific figure, a night creeper leader, in <laughs> like ninety two. But when does he get a name?
1: Ooh, I think it's around about the time of that. Um. Towards the back end of the transformers crossover
0: okay so so Hama just takes that orange and black toy and gives him like a first name that's right, yeah, okay it's not like when the it's not like when the night creepers show up in issue ninety seven one of them has a name
1: so um so uh, while we're talking about the red ninja leader um uh, did you know that uh, so so he's called satan here s e i t i n that this is again, Brandon Joe were sort of um, reaching into the deep within the, the international G.I. Joe toy box and, and pulling out something. Um, so, that is a reference back to uh, the character Satan, S A T A N, being an international figure, uh, a red ninja figure, a repainted um, Storm Shadow, which uh, was manufactured in Argentina by the. Plastrima toy company, so it's a, an international GI Joe variant that uh, was the inspiration for for the for the name.
0: That's awesome because that both works, uh, you know, sort of logically and story wise. But then it also nods to the fans who know that toy, and uh, you know, we we do want this comic to nod to the toy. Like, yeah, that's great. Uh, so. So Dr. Mindbender, can you remind me what happened to Dr. Mindbender in issue twenty-five? You know what? I should I should phrase it. I should phrase it like uh from the audience's point of view as if I might actually remember. Can you remind <laughs> us? Can you remind us what happens to Dr. Mindbender issue twenty-five?
1: Dr. Mindbender, he was on Serpentor's side, wasn't he? He was kind of behind not just Serpentor coming back, but but also all of the other clones, really, wasn't he? So uh he was uh, you know, in the opposite camp to um Cobra Commander, and uh, he was punched in the face by Cobra Commander up on the top of that waterfall a little bit bef- before uh, Serpentor was blown up and then kicked off and uh, he was last seen scarpering away. He bravely ran away, away. Um. So, yeah, we, we see the back of Mindbender running away from Cobra Commander.
0: Run, Mindbender!
1: Run and pretend you can escape me. You'll never run far enough.
0: How do you guys feel that Mindbender's
1: back or that he
0: he made it out of issue 25? That that's fine.
1: Yeah, it's fine. He's was, he's was, it was he's a you know, he's an important character in the Cobra hierarchy. He wasn't killed, left open. I think uh, having him uh, return seems uh, pretty sensible or, or expected really, so uh, no qualms there.
2: I'm always happy to see Dr. Mindbender. <laughs> like I said, he's one of the ones that I can't wait to get a classified figure for.
0: Hmm. Alright, so so here's a question. There's the page uh it's actually at the center fold, uh where my where my staples are. It's got the big ring of fire, and Sei Tin says, uh, you've healed well since our last encounter, Snake Eyes. I'm anxious to see how the fire burns for you today. We haven't seen him before. Is Jurwa creating some backstory that isn't in G.I. Joe comics, or is Jerwa assuming that one of the red ninjas in one of the Marvel comics was actually this guy, Satan now retroactively I think what we're That's seeing Cobra Commander saying... <laughs> yeah,
1: What we are actually seeing is oh! Finn <laughs> identifying the wrong character. <laughs> oh,
0: right, geez. Okay. Uh, yes. Well, uh, uh, I take that back. It's, you've healed well since our last encounter, Snake mm-hmm. Eyes. I'm anxious to see how the fire burns for you today. Uh, right. He's colored so dark and there's a lot of red in that uh, dark blue that it is. In fact, thank you. Thank you for yeah, the yeah. correct.
1: And the last time that Cobra Commander saw Snake Eyes, he was in a bad way because he had been involved in an explosion as the Joes were escaping right. imprisonment from uh, uh, Cobra Island, which, you know, is is a bit of chronology we have to scratch our heads and remember because we haven't read it for a few a few uh few uh, I was going back to
2: the closure arc cuz I kind of thought that that was probably the last time that Cobra Commander actually saw Snake Eyes.
1: Hmm. No 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 cuz Cobra Cobra Commander he was escaping at the same time as the Joes, wasn't he? So he was Oh yeah. and he was doing yeah, yeah. badass. and then they have the scene stabbing in, the, in the people things in the...
2: where Snake Eyes kind of looks at him and uh you know Cobra Commander I don't know. I forget what he says. Some kind of comment like "Not today, Snake Eyes." You know, uh, yeah. So they did see each other in the last stand. I remember now. Yep.
1: I, spy I spy with my, with my little eye. eye. Okay, so I spy. I spy. Snow Job blowing a bubble gum bubble early on in the in the issue. It's just below where the the, the Joe's walked into the room, Tarantino style. The the panel underneath that. Um, Snow Job is blowing a bubble as a bit of a callback fun moment to to reference the way that breaker used to blow uh, bubbles and was uh, i think Joe Joe hinted that that he you know responded um, responded very well to uh, reader requests and and so on and you know was quite influenced by by that and that I think might be the first direct example of that that someone had written in asking if they can see some Joe's blowing some bubbles <laughs> and we uh we definitely got one
2: Odd fan request.
0: I Spy Scalpel.
1: Scalpel, yeah.
0: I Spy Scalpel, who is the uh he's the head meta viper, and that is an action figure that was made, and this is Devil's Do, I think, working to bring in then new figures or contemporary figures into the comic here and there. Absolutely. So
1: it's scalpel's second appearance. Yeah, he was in a Cobra Civil War. Uh, issues. Uh, we're not well. That's not the name of the arc, is it? But um, it, it in in stand. yeah, the last stand. Um, he was he was seen there, but in a non-speaking role. So yeah, yeah, sort of in, you know introducing him as part of the Cobra command and and having him as a speaking role It's quite you know quite cool. To have sort of rounding out that that cast with some key Cobras. Um, but but leads me into the thought as well. It's uh, it's new toys.
2: New toys.
1: Clearly, you know we've we've seen we've seen Scalpel, we've seen uh, Crosshair, we've seen various other characters uh, being introduced uh, in the last few few issues, and clearly it's something that that the brand JAB was really embracing all of the, the the additions in terms of the toy universe, and and we're really seeing it again um, this issue. So w- one of the more obscure ones, I'll take Snake Eyes. So Snake Eyes is uh, the 2002. Uh, yo joe entitled uh snake eyes version 13 it's gray and purple at uh, snake eyes with fishnet arm pattern so mm-hmm. so we're seeing a redesign of of snake eyes incorporating that latest look um do you, do you, one of you want to call out a new toy
0: um well i i i think we sort of danced around this back when we did the first four issues like oh snake eyes has a Uh, a protege it's this new character kamakura and then he actually made it to be a toy and in the time that we have read these 27 issues i think we have maybe forgotten to say oh the kamakura gets a toy in 2003 Mm. um so just to check back in with the fact as of issue 27 it's it's no longer this new character just in the comics and he's like maybe gonna get a toy i hope they'll make a toy (laughs) no the toys the toys been out now for six months
2: yeah. No spoilers, but are we not gonna find out who Kamakura is until the Master and Apprentice mini series?
1: We yeah, we do in, in the Master and Apprentice series. And and what what's interesting looking at the the timing of these these issues that Master and Apprentice comes out not too long after um the these issues that we're reading here. So so it's very hot on the heels of Brandon Joe being given um the ongoing title that he's clearly also been given the okay to do a Master and Apprentice uh, spin-off series. uh, Yeah,
2: because it's been like two years, and they've not at all hinted at who Kamakur is. And I think I know who he is because, you know, I've read stuff. (laughs) But um, like I said, I don't want to spoil anything or ruin anything for other... Uh, readers yeah. of other Joe titles.
1: Yeah, I don't think Kem- Kamakura directly um, features too much in in the, these next few issues. So as we as the um, Joe run concludes with issue forty three, I think we'll do we can sort of delve into some of the Joe uh, Joe written uh, spin offs at that point in in time. So I think we'll cover Master and Apprentice uh, one and two, and uh, Snake Eyes Declassified.
0: So uh, while we're identifying toys, what is this? Uh, what's this silly helicopter that doesn't <laughs> look like a GI Joe vehicle that that the, a Cobra pilot is using to attack the Arctic guys on the mountain?
1: So this is a Cobra Fang Three from two thousand and two, and to be honest, I think it wasn't necessarily the best period for GI Joe vehicles and Cobra vehicles that they there were a little that looked a little bit silly, not necessarily massive classics. So. Yeah, not not a fan of this one.
0: Yeah. I'm going to phrase it in a different way for people who don't have pictures of the toys in their heads or who are not in front of Yojo know, or 3D Joes. The vehicles around 2003, they look like they wandered in from a different toy line. <laughs> yeah. They look like 60% James Bond Junior, 10% Star Wars, and 10% like some generic fantasy military line you'd find at Walgreens. <laughs> uh, and i don't say that to be insulting i say that to like i'm actually trying to describe yeah. uh, what it looks like like they there's enough sort of like stuff on them that doesn't feel realistic the way that the 80s joe vehicles did or like that particular kind of fantasy reality the way that the cobra vehicles did like you know the the fang 2 i think it looks kind of silly it, it doesn't strike me i think the fang 1 it look, looks like a real thing, even though it's like you, you'd never make a, a helicopter like that. It's too dangerous, right? And it's too loud. But the Fang Three, even though it's much closer to the Fang One, it's like all of its like shapes, mm-hmm. all of its, all the decisions on it, its scale. uh it, There's like a, I don't mean cartoony like the GI Joe animated series. I mean cartoony like not realistic. Yeah, not not realistic. It's like if you described a cobra hiss to someone who'd never ever seen GI Joe, they might come up with this
1: yeah it's like more the idea of a a a budget toy version of a helicopter rather than yeah. something that you could imagine existing in in the real world perhaps yeah. um who else did i see so i saw cobra claws so he was uh, the uh, he was the, the lackey in the background investigating the container that that mindbender had been in and uh, his superior officer claws commander uh, there, in the red jacket with the uh, the golden uh, face mask, and uh, his his outfit actually, I think was repurposed as um, the Crimson Twins um, outfits as well. So I think that that same toy saw a re-release uh, with the the head swapped out with uh, Tomex and Zaymott, uh as well. We might even see that in the in the comics later on. I'm not can't remember off the top of my head. There we go. So those I think were the key new toys from this issue had another another little ice spy um it's probably the most important story-telling point but <laughs> i like it I th- and I, and it shows it shows sort of um brandon jer was uh, kind of thoughts uh, and sort of attention to detail um and this is that frostbite has got his beard back because as we've commented before you know when frostbite had a new toy released uh, it was an arctic figure but there was nothing about it really that shouted um frostbite because one of the biggest visual signifiers for frostbite the character is his black beard and uh there, yeah, there he is he's got it back
0: um yes yep joe's aren't allowed to shave that's the frostbite figure that i think just was meant to be blizzard thank you brandon droa and tim Seeley for fixing frostbite's look uh in this comic i have a little eye spy on um page 15 in the final panel all the way in the bottom Jinx is mid-air holding her two, uh size and uh, one of her legs is sort of down and one is like receding away from her and I don't I don't know if Celie did this on purpose or just by accident but that is a Rob Liefeld pose <laughs>
2: yeah well look at uh, Kamakura from the top panel I mean that's
0: oh yeah 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 right you are
2: unfortunately
0: <laughs> and then my, my other uh, little eye spy is um, uh, page uh, six or so, I forget, when the Dreadnoughts are, uh, we, the one panel where we see the Dreadnoughts and they're all in orange um, prison uh, uniforms. Uh, there's a law enforcement officer in the foreground holding some folded clothing and it mm-hmm. must be their clothing because on the, on, on the top is what looks like a black vest and a little chain with a skull on it, which belongs to Torches' uh, outfit, so that's, that's just a little detail where it's like you know those just aren't those aren't just clothes. It's the Dreadnought's clothes because we have this one little signifier for them.
1: Nice. All done, on nice spy.
0: Yeah, I really don't have anything. Yeah. No, no, no. Sorry, I wanted uh, two more. Um, <laughs> yeah. the, uh, there are two wonderful sound effects. <laughs> um, there are two wonderful sound effects in this comic so uh, i have been hard on the lettering all the studios and letterers who've worked on the uh devil's Due gi joe dreamer design does some really nice fun work here on page 14 the big first panel where the ring of fire that i keep referring to is lit and there is
1: uh,
0: a five letter onomatopoeia for the fire actually the, the roar of a flame uh and the letters are drawn with a sort of angular flame quality. And then um And on, on this page... page as
1: well, have you noticed that some of the little licks of fire are sort of shaped to look like um cobras? Okay. Particularly the ones on the very bottom panel.
0: Hmm. Oh yeah. And then uh page 18, uh final panel, uh Snake Eyes and say ten are having their sword fight, and there's a great sound effect. Tank kring <laughs> T A N K K hyphen K R N I G exclamation mark and uh Satan follows it up with uh <laughs> and uh the the lettering the 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 font is a little angular it looks a little like calligraphic a little like you know Japanese uh like kanji and I I think it's it's really fun to uh, string some letters to each other to approximate a sound effect, rather than just like you know, C L A N G, like clang. So those those are both great, both as a writing decision and as a lettering decision.
1: Very very evocative. Can we have it? Can we have it one more time, Tim? To tank That That is excellent.
0: Uh, here's an nice There, the first letter in the letters page is from a reader, Dan Foster in Wurzburg, excuse me, Wurzburg, Germany. And he is a warrant officer. And over a paragraph, he very nicely and clearly corrects uh, the Devils Do Joe team on uh, not getting the um, how you would address a warrant officer like Flint, uh, not getting that correct in a previous issue. I, I won't read the whole thing, but it's it's a it's a nice read. Yeah, I thought that was
2: a great
1: letter. Error detected. Error detected. No prize incoming. Okay, so um, did we find any errors in this issue?
2: I have a small one.
1: Yes, Jay, but did you find any errors?
2: On the page where... Yeah, and it's just a very, very small art, art issue. On the first page, uh, one, two, three, fourth panel, the old guy standing next to the ninja... His legs are behind the ninja, and his elbow is in front of the ninja. So, dude needs a V eight.
1: Shift that guy back or forward. Make up your mind.
2: Right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's my little error detected.
1: That's a uh, keen eye, keen eye, Jay. Um, um,
0: it's funny. My my error detected was that a word balloon was pointing
2: the wrong person.
0: What <laughs> should have been pointing to uh, Storm Shadow and not Satan but in fact that was that little panel which I got wrong where Mark you corrected me and said no that's not Satan that's Cobra Commander so even when looking at it closely and I thought it was wrong I was seeing it I was seeing it wrong but I was solving it for myself in a different way so it's not technically <laughs> an error detected
1: fair dues. my one was uh so it's with uh, that scene with Destro and Alexander and Lillian and Destro says that Lillian's exposure was limited to interrogation, not brainwashing. Let's, let's do that again in a Destro voice. Lillian's exposure was limited to interrogation, not brainwashing. Um, however, Your Honor, if I refer back to uh, issue number 18, where we have the scene of Lillian and Cobra Commander, uh, where sh- where we have... um. Uh, Lillian saying, for example, uh, Commander, you look parched, could I get you a chai tea? Ah, yes, Lillian, that would be delightful. All of that kind of uh, stuff where she's sort of waiting on him in, uh, in a, you know, a sort of a somewhat short skirt and so on, and we're thinking, hmm, what's going on here? But anyway, so Cobra Commander goes on to say, I was just enjoying the latest brainwashing efforts Dr. Mindbender performed on that traitorous Lillian, I told you we would be we would enjoy repaying her for her deceit. And who is it that Cobra Commander is saying this to? It is none other than Destro. So either we got uh, a mistake, or we've got a bluff from a Cobra Commander suggesting that she had been brainwashed when, in actual fact, uh, she she was seemed not. pretty brainwashed to me. Maybe
0: maybe Jerwa is trying to fix what he sees as. Something that doesn't work
1: could be yeah yeah could be because yeah you you think he he would have referred to it so so yeah it could be uh it could be him sort of retroactively trying to fix something as you said. Quarter, quarter, quarter of the week, 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 quarter of the week. Do we have uh any favorite line of dialogue this week?
0: I do, this is mean, my favorite line of dialogue comes on the third to last page, and uh, it's, I think it's Kamakura. Kamakura says, what just happened? <laughs> and as I read this, I thought, I don't know. I can't follow this fight. <laughs> you don't know either? <laughs> and I sort of half expected in the next bit of dialogue, Scarlet to like tell me what just happened, because I couldn't tell what happened.
1: I wrote down the same thing. <laughs> I'm in the same boat as Kamakura. I don't know either. Even He was there and he still didn't. Oh, dear.
2: My favorite line is the one that Tim brought up earlier. Like I said, I'm, I'm hoping that that puts the Scarlet Snake Eyes stuff to rest. So I'm, I'm throwing that out there as my favorite line. <laughs> hopefully.
0: Hopefully. Just to, Just to clarify... You're okay with them having a relationship, and you're okay with them wanting to have a relationship. You're not okay with Scarlet sort of continually putting the relationship in front of duty and his job. Yeah. Okay.
2: Like we talked about in in, uh, Closure. She's like, you can't go after Storm Shadow, blah, 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 and all this shit. And it's like, Scarlet would have just been like, where's my crossbow? Let's go. You know, she's not ever going to be like, No, you can't do that. You got to stay here with me and the wolves. <clears throat> no. Yeah. So thanks, Brandon. Hopefully you fixed that.
0: Mark, do you have a favorite line?
1: Uh, there wasn't one that actually stood out for me beyond uh, beyond the, the more jokey Kamakura <laughs> <laughs> line. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Shall we give this a Yojo Cola score? So how Let's many... Do it. How many bottles of Frosty Yojo Cola are you breaking out from the old 10-pack on this Mm. issue?
0: I'm torn between a four and a five because a lot about it doesn't work. And I feel like a four is pretty harsh. Like, whereas early issues that I gave maybe a low number like four, I think it didn't work like art wise, storytelling wise, but also like it was the wrong sort of thing for G.I. Joe. And I think a lot of this is the right thing for G.I. Joe. It's just like the art doesn't do it for me, the storytelling, the color, it's too crowded. But like yeah, I wouldn't be embarrassed to give this comic to someone to read. I'm not sure I'd want to give this to like a lapsed G.I. Joe fan. I don't think this is the issue to get someone back in. So I guess I guess I'll be I guess I'll be harsh and say four.
1: Okay. G.I.J.
0: I
2: think um, the story is not bad. I don't have a problem with the story or any of the dialogue. Really, the art is not terrible. I mean, it's it's a new artist, you know. Like I said, we it's hard to knock Sealy too much. It, it just I think it's more like what Tim said in an earlier issue. This is G.I. Joe. You need to put top guys on it. You know, I'm not saying Sealy isn't talented or that he's not going to become better, but at this stage in his career, he shouldn't have been on GI Joe. He's just not good enough. Um and the coloring is awful. But the story is not terrible. So 5.
1: Okay. That is. Uh I think I'll, I'll do you know, slightly better than you I'll go in. I'll go in with 6.5 on this one, I think. Um I don't dislike it. I think the story generally you know, it's it's got good momentum to it. I I like the the spirit behind it of um, some of the choices that are made. Uh, the, I think Joe has got quite an interesting ear for for dialogue, and and some of the the dialogue and and sound effects that Tim's pointed to are, are sort of uh, a thoughtful. I I think the issue overall is is impaired by some of the colouring choices. You know, probably to the extent of like a mark or even a mark and a half being knocked off here so so all in all not bad but but not the not the greatest of the the issues and and you know so i certainly wouldn't skip past it in a in a reread along the the line when i've when i've forgotten that when i've forgotten the issue which which knowing my memory these days won't take me too long (laughs) um so (laughs) uh yeah, so so I think we're we're not too too far away from each other on 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 this one.
2: I'm with you. the The coloring takes at least a point off. I would have given it a, a six, probably maybe higher, if it had just had you know not so overpowering colors.
0: For all of my tough comments about Seeley, a I am looking forward to him getting better in this series as he goes, and B. Uh, I'm also aware in comics right now, he draws very little, but he writes a lot. Mm -hmm. And if either he realized he didn't want to draw as much and he wanted to write more, or he wasn't getting a lot of drawing work and he started getting more writing work. And so he like made the sort of career choice to be known more as a writer. Then I think that's great. I think that's, you know, they're like, they're, you know, they're, they're comics artists who started as inkers and who moved into penciling mm-hmm. and they're pencilers who wanted to ink their own work and have more control. And there are artists who moved into writing and some of them were great. And there's some that are just not great, but it's, they still get work. Look so, at Larry. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, he always uh, said that's I, the
2: reason he took GI Joe is because they wouldn't let him write anything else. And he was like, I just want to write something. And now yes. he's more known as, a, as being a writer.
1: And, and yeah, and Seeley as well, even on his own book um hack slash he he sort of moved to to assigning uh, other artists to work on it rather than just his his own stuff so um you know i think he, he probably had to, had the realization that that he could you know do do more but may, maybe put out more sort of output or or have no, uh you know, or, or put his efforts into the into the writing and have uh, other other artists draw it in a in a way that he he felt that maybe he he couldn't achieve himself but um yeah i think i think we we also you know we're going we're going to see him an, on a journey uh, as as he sort of as his art generally approves across um across this arc as we sort of get to the get to the end of it and and you know it's not to ignore history as well in in terms of i think generally he was very well regarded by fans at the time he was a popular artist uh, on on the book so um you know i don't want to dismiss that as we, and we know that a friend of the show, uh, Richard Straw, um, is is also a big fan of uh, of his his art. And um, you know, people are entitled to their own uh, preferences. I don't want to dismiss that. So that was issue twenty seven. Uh, paradigm shift. Um, <laughs> <laughs> who can who can on the spot give me a plotted definition of the word paradigm?
0: Uh a paradigm is uh paradigm it's like the Timber, estabi- I'll
1: let you get away with that. It's,
0: uh, two it's frogs these, uh it's, looking
2: for a bowl of cereal. Oh, <laughs>
0: what? Man. Dig them, uh, the frogs. Oh uh, so honey honey smacks. Yeah. Uh it's uh, yeah, Tim knows. It's a, it's the established norms, right? In a like culture or a uh scenario or a um like set of rules or expectations. Are mine you, was right? funner. let's be honest very good but yeah i think, uh, it I is, think
1: jay wins with that with the frogs
0: related to <laughs> a sweetened honey cereal breakfast cereal <laughs> yes
1: That's so paradigms <laughs> ah there you frogs. go
0: okay you had to say it because i was imagining i was picturing the letters and, uh, <laughs> p-a-r-a para <laughs> uh just just to be clear uh fellow hosts is the paradigm that snake eyes is now in charge of the red ninjas
2: I guess that or Cobra is
1: Cobra leadership. Yeah, Cobra leadership as well. They're doing
0: mm-hmm. okay because Serpentor is back. When when Mark said to us, "Oh, and we're going to be reading issue twenty-seven, Paradigm Shift," and it's it's a one, it's a it's one of one. It's a self-contained issue. I thought that is a great title, and that's one of those terms or figures of speech that, when used as a title promises you know a lot of changes yeah drama and changes you know it's like what goes around comes around or you know unintended consequences or launch base no I'm kidding launch base (laughs) is not a great title for a comic book I love it because to me it demonstrates that they didn't know that they had cleared Cobra Terror Drome for legal yet and so the issue is just called launch base issue 54 anyway um (laughs) Uh, I'm not sure if this issue, maybe part of why, um, I'm not sure if this issue lives up to the sort of expected promise I was hoping for with such a big, exciting title. Yeah, it's it's sort of a paradigm shift. (laughs) Like, I think what I mean is, I don't know that like, a lot of the next 20 issues are going to be about Snake Eyes and the Red Ninjas. Yeah. Because it seems like, it seems like already at the end... Uh, now it is time um, Satan had been defeated and his life spared by a mortal enemy now it is time for a new leader to be chosen because and then Scarlet says because I think they just made Snake Eyes their leader uh, and one and one of the Red Ninjas is bowing to him I feel like I feel like that's not a big enough thing for this to be it's like, like oh the Joes are moving in with the Red Ninjas or like no Cobra Commander and Serpenter are dead and Destro's taking over that's a paradigm shift But I also understand that uh, comic books in the, you know, grand tradition of like Marvel in the 60s often uh, like have big exaggerations and make promises on their covers and with their titles and on their first pages. And, you know, you, the reader, are along for the ride or you're not. So,
1: okay. so um, next up, we will be reading the next issue, issue 28, which is players and pawns part one of five. I imagine it's mostly about shrimp. Um, <laughs> Maybe. we, uh, we will then, uh, tackle the, the next couple of parts, uh, split into two. So we'll have 29 and 30 and then 31 and 32. So we'll cover players and prawns, uh, across three episodes. Uh, yeah, so that we so that we don't
0: have a three and a half hour episode Talk, talking about five <laughs> talking about five comic books. Who us?
1: So uh, yeah, yeah. So look, looking forward to to that. the The first issue is, is some I think somewhat stands alone from the the, the rest of it. So it stands up to uh, stands up to being looked at on its uh, own. So uh, that's what we shall do.
2: Jirwa's got the pieces on the chessboard. Now let's see what he does with it
0: jerwa has got the pieces on the chessboard. Let's see how Destro plays with the chess pieces on Destro's chess set, made up of Joes and Cobras,
2: yeah, and Pawns that's and pawns. Guarantee that's going in the video. <laughs> <laughs> that classic cover with Destro knocking over all those chess pieces,
0: mm. or or the panel from twenty one.
2: Yeah, oh. yeah, it's like we have the the cover. Oh,
1: Billy Penn's little and video the scene
2: is in another issue.
1: Destro. his gloved hand holding up the uh, the little men that he made um should we should we sing the jingle and get out of here (laughs) so yeah as well as the devil's due stuff we'll also cover the new issues from larry hammer as they come out so uh we have 289 the dawn helix spotlight uh just uh out or coming out soon depending on when i release this and uh and lots more fun besides that um, so uh Tim and Jay, where can people find you when we're not talking at length about comics from twenty years ago?
0: My comic shop is Hub Comics. It's in Somerville, Massachusetts, and my blog is a realamericanbook.com.
1: Very good. And Jay?
2: Break room sketches on Facebook.
1: hmm And uh, you can find uh, the show in all of the user places. Talkingjoe.co.uk is the website that has those places. Um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, email and whatnot. Uh, We're also on Patreon, patreon patreon.com slash where you can help us fund all of the things that we need to keep this show going with as much or as little as you'd like. A big thanks to our backers. Richard, Sam, Jay, Bill, Christopher, and Justice... Justice? Justice Justin, that's what I call him. Who are all getting early access to episodes as well as some exclusive content. Sometimes there, there are as many as four episodes piled up uh, for those guys to, to listen to before they uh, hit. But with all that said and done, I think we are out of here. But remember... Nobody beats Talking Joe! A real American podcast! With some guys who are really popular in Hong Kong. Laters.
2: He's big in Germany.